0: Welcome, you all, to a uh, bonus week of You Pick the Sermon <clears throat> series. I'd uh, initially planned to uh, conclude this series, the final week of January, but... Uh, I shouldn't have done that. Sorry. <laughs> Hands off! Um, there was a suggestion made to revisit the topic of church restoration. been a little while since we've talked about that. So I thought we'd go into a little bit of you pick over time, if you will. Let me explain. Let me explain just a moment. If you're coming in through the church building and you happen to take a little, a little bit of a look over here at the in, in the entryway, we might have a church doctrinal statement that we've published on the back of one of our flyers might find the following description of our church, a Ferris Church of Christ. I'll just read the first part of this document. I would assume many of you have run across this on your way into the church building. But the top of this doctrinal statement, uh, probably posted out here in the hall, reads, what do we believe? And uh, then it continues. It says, Ferris Church of Christ's mission is to go teach baptize. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Now, the document continues. We are an independent restoration church. There's that word, restoration church, located in rural Vesterburg, Michigan. We are dedicated to the restoration of the church as established by Jesus Christ. And I'll stop there. So this question has been asked recently, well, what is the restoration of the church as established by Jesus Christ? What is that? What is this all about? And that's an excellent question. You know, it goes together with some other excellent questions. Uh, Maybe you've wondered, well, you know, not only what is this, but why? Uh, Why does the church need restored? What is this all about? What part do we have in restoration? So I'd like to conclude this series this year by combining all of these separate questions into one. This morning we're going to ask the question, how does Christ restore his church? To answer this question, going to be looking at a variety of scriptures, uh, all of five up there on the screen. So get those Bibles ready. We're going to uh, dig into the answer this morning at Ferris Church of Christ. I need to get one of those, like, Andy Stanley TVs. You know, this is, I can't see what I'm, but I have a question for you this Sunday morning. Is anyone here this morning uh, interested in auto-restoration? Auto restoration, see, I see, see one in the back there. Restoring old cars, right? Maybe you know someone who is. Well, we, we all know someone who is now. But uh, for some reason, my notes here say I'm supposed to name check Luke, but I, I don't have a connection for that. So we're not going to mention Luke this morning. <laughs> but it's been said that if you want to double the worth of your auto restoration project, the quickest way to do so is to fill up the gas tank. The quickest way to half the worth is to buy some more parts. Depending on the amount of restoration necessary for the vehicle that you wish to restore, you might be talking quite a lot of money, right? Let's say you've decided to get into uh, auto restoration. You, You have a vehicle which is a shell of its former self. And depending on what needs done, isn't it possible that you could be looking, maybe not at just a uh, rust removal, maybe some paint, but maybe, I don't know, a couple door handles, a windshield perhaps, maybe you need a gas cap, maybe you need some headlights or taillights, bumpers, latches, so on. This car's in bad shape. Um, if a person wanted to fully restore an old vehicle that was in extremely bad shape, let's, Im- let's imagine. And this is just the exterior, right? These are, ju- these are just the things that we can see we're not even thinking about what's under the hood of the car. We're not even getting that far. So perhaps restoration, I don't know what, fuel pump, uh, carburetor. These are things I've been told are in vehicles because, you know, I know all about this stuff. Here's some other words. Cylinder head, compressor, car, Google is great. Google, Google is wonderful. But restoration takes some things, right? It takes time. Restoration takes time, it takes money, it takes effort, and we can understand that. All we got to do is look at what's involved with restoring an old car. Do you know how much it, it could fully cost you to restore a vintage car? I've, I found one article here that gives a ballpark figure of around $70, but you have to multiply that by 1,000 hours of work on average. So $70,000 for labor and not even talking about parts, right? So we're talking expensive, expensive. Saving an old car that needs a lot of work is a big job for somebody who gets called to do it. But here's the thing. It's not near as big. It's not infinitely as expensive as saving a person, a person, human being, a soul, you or I, we can restore our old vehicles, but it takes the divine Jesus Christ, God incarnate, to restore his people. Amen? It takes Jesus Christ to do that. Let's talk about a couple of the ways in which he does this. We'll talk about parts and labor today. Jesus Christ, first off, he restores his church through the word, through the word. If you open up your Bibles with me or follow along, I believe we've got this text. I'm going to get a real long pointer for next week. Matthew 16, 18. You find this verse. We read here about the initial build, where things got kicked off with Christ's church. Jesus says here, and he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as one commentator has said, construction of Christ's church began, and the church was brought into being about a year later. About a year after these words on the day of Pentecost, around the year 30. Jesus' words to Peter in Matthew 16, 18 wouldn't fall on deaf ears, Peter, on this day of Pentecost, a year later, will deliver the following message to thousands at Jerusalem. Do we have this up there? Acts 2 37 38? Believe we do. Yes, we do. The accusation that the people had just murdered their Messiah, Jesus Christ, was upon them. And so Peter says this, goes on verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, as we continue through chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we continue to see the blueprint or the schematics. These are fancy words I've heard online. The design, Christ's intentions for this group of people called the church, whom the gates of hell would not prevail against. Verse 47 mentions that the Lord added to their number those whom he was saving. And together, all of this has been compiled for us by the Holy Spirit through human authors so that we might be able to see who the church is, what the church looks like, what we're supposed to be, the design. 2,000 years later, we can run into all kinds of religions. We can run into all kinds of religious organizations. There's a lot of them. But we can know who makes up the church belonging to Jesus Christ because of the way they're described right here, right here in the blueprint, in the Holy Inspire, in the Holy Spirit inspired word of God. Amen. So there's some, there's an advantage to this. You see, no matter how rusty or burned out or broken down on the inside, we may be spiritually. We can be Restored. We can be restored because we know what replacement parts are necessary for God's design, don't we? One commentator speaking about the early church says this. They believed in a few things. They believed in the deity of Christ, God in human form, God with a robe of flesh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. The early church believed and believes today. The church believes in the deity of Christ. That's not negotiable. Jesus is God. Number two, they stressed the necessity of living the Christian life. The, what they believed about Jesus was shown in how they lived. They knew of the promise of eternal life for the faithful believer. They were distinguished by two practices. number one, first immersion or baptism of the penitent of the penitent believer in water, full immersion for the remission of sins. and second, The weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. This is what this says. We didn't make that up. This is what this says. So Christ's church, we, we should understand right now. According to the Bible, won't be marked by any rites, won't be marked by any traditions, none, nada. Except the two that Jesus himself took part in and directed us to do the same. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, or communion. Anything else we can come up with doesn't fit the original design, therefore doesn't really belong in the vehicle. And it's important to note that besides telling us how the church became the church, besides telling us what the church continued to do after it became the church, the Bible also tells us the name that Christ gave to the church after he started building it. It's pretty easy to find. It's in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. This verse says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the name. This is the name. Romans sixteen sixteen is often translated to read in part, and this is cool. All the churches of Christ greet you. All the churches of Christ greet you. So Christ's church, according to God's word, isn't known scripturally by other names in other places that have been given to it over the last couple thousand years. According to God's word, the church is made up of Christians. According to the Bible, we are collectively the church of Christ or the Christian church. And both names are acceptable. Both names apply for who we are. Since Christ's ascension into heaven, uh, we've come up with some other things, haven't we? We've had some other things pop up over the years. Man-made traditions have dictated different directions for some groups in both name and action. But the New Testament church built by Jesus Christ, as described, is found right here in these scriptures. And so restoration, if you will, is about getting back to the design. It's about returning to what God has intended for his people. If we want to be restored individuals, if we want to be a restored church, we must bring our faith. doesn't matter what we've picked up along the way. doesn't matter uh, what, what parts we consist of, uh, what church we grew up in. We have to bring it back to the blueprint, to the schematics, to the design of Christ's church found within the Bible. I've been told that if you needed to replace, let's say the carburetor in a classic car, I'll just say a 1965 Mustang, I like the sound of that. You wouldn't take out the carburetor and drop in its place a CD player. It wouldn't take a lot of research to tell you that a CD player, as much as I would like it to, it doesn't take a lot of research or a lot of time spent on this to tell you that that's not going to fill the function of the previous carburetor. And the same is true for the church. We know the parts it needs because the Bible tells us the parts it needs. And it's important when we then consider the second way we see Christ restoring his design with what he intended. So we've talked a little bit about uh, the parts uh, Let's talk about labor. Labor is expensive, isn't it? We know this. We all know labor is expensive again, and it doesn't take rebuilding an antique car to know it can be a burden on us. Uh, What, just to take our car into the shop, right? Uh, Many of us, if we're capable, might change our own oil, uh, maybe replace our own tires. Some of us are far more capable than that. I am not one of those people. I know where the gas oil and windshield, uh, windshield wiper fluid are supposed to go, and that's about it. I've paid for labor. And Jesus Christ is paid for labor too. He is paid for labor too. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Why? Because Jesus Christ is paid for labor. He's died on the cross for us and defeated death for us so that we may perpetuate this gospel message to those who haven't accepted it. And Here's a second way Jesus restores his church after his word is through the church itself, through his people, through his people. It's obvious people haven't always stuck to the message, right? You know, there have been plenty of people since the scriptures were written. This has happened a few times. You know, once every couple hundred years, we come across someone, hey, I found these books, I found these writings, uh, these are just as good as the Bible. I found this stuff, I came up with this stuff. But there's also, been, by God's grace, been plenty of people who said, no, we respond only to this. We respond only to the authority of the scriptures. There's one gospel, Galatians 1, 2 Timothy 3. And there have been plenty of people since the scriptures were written who have said, hey, I know what the apostles taught. I know what this says about self-sacrifice, but we need to readapt this. We need to adopt this for a different time. Rethink the way uh, we're using this. Uh, It doesn't doesn't work with our uh, uh, culture today. It doesn't work with our uh, bank account today. But there have also been, by God's grace, plenty of people who've said, no, the Bible alone, the scriptures, God's word alone can teach us the truth from a lie and a right from a wrong. And we need to conform our ways to what it says. See, the trouble is we want to do it the other way around. We want to conform this to what we do. Second Peter 1, 2 Timothy 2. Churches that teach falsely, churches that teach something different, churches that teach in addition to the word of God are are everywhere today, but but they're nothing new. It's been happening for a couple thousand years, just shortly after the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. Uh, His church that began spreading worldwide also began spreading itself in division. Didn't take too long. They already began dividing themselves in in party names, in traditions and practices that that weren't found with what he had delivered to them. They they began dividing themselves by their opinion. But Christ knew this was coming. And what's interesting is John 17, verses 20 to 23, where Jesus prays for unity for his people. Jesus knew this was coming. So today... I believe Christ's prayer for unity is perpetuated. I believe Christ's restorative work is completed through his people who are willing to put in the time, who are willing to put in the hours proclaiming to this world, including a world of dogma and denomination, the Bible alone. Bible alone. We're Christians alone. We have no creed but Christ. So, maybe now we're starting to understand what what restoration what the restoration movement what ferris church is all about as the church of christ as christians only are we ready to go to work restoring his church but maybe maybe you're saying this is a this is a good thought a good question a good uh, uh something that is worth pointing out you might say restore the church of christ this possible How is this possible? This is a world that uses every denominational name for Christian under the sun, right? I mean, we're known by everything else. How can we be Christians only? That's a good question. Here's another good one. Preacher, I know the sign out here in front of this place says Church of Christ, but isn't that just a little uh, hot-headed for you to stand up there and say that this church belongs to Jesus and all the other ones have abandoned him? But uh, wait, stop, I'm not. I'm not saying all the other churches have abandoned him. I am saying there's a biblical name for followers of Jesus. Acts 11:26, 26. And I'm saying that's the one I want to use, Christians only. As far as church governing, it's interesting. There's no mention in the New Testament of this worker movement. This labor movement for Christ uh, being a denomination or a series of denominations, found a, a really interesting uh, article written by former Ferris minister Howard Cowan. I wanted to share part of it with you this morning. Uh, Mr. Cowan wrote this, There's no mention in the Bible of any church headquarters established. Each congregation had its own overseers or elders from within its own member, First Timothy 3. Christ is the head over all things to the church, Ephesians 1. And Christ is the head over all things at this church. That's what we want for everyone. Uh, Mr. Cowan adds, division within the church developed in Corinth. Again, it it developed immediately when some claim to be followers of their favorite leaders. But oneness and faithfulness are necessary wherever the gospel is being proclaimed. We must understand, and again, this is, this is tackled almost immediately in the word, in church history. It doesn't do us any good to name our church and uh, uh, what we believe in after our favorite theologian. Bible mentions, uh, Paul mentions Apollos. We might come up with some other ones today. Martin Luther, good old Charlie Brown. And don't laugh because somewhere out there I'm sure exists the St. Charlie of the Brown Fellowship of the Good Grief. Sorry. But it's not biblical. As many with uh, uh, Church of Christ roots before us have said, we're not the only Christians, no, but we're Christians only. We're Christians only, that's what I want to be. Interesting, it's uh, kind of relevant. Uh, Ferris Church of Christ uh, was, was founded, uh, you might know, Elder Eliasius was the name of the guy, I like that name. 1868, we're actually celebrating our 150th anniversary this year uh with this community we praise the lord for that we're really looking forward to that time of celebration this year but you know what else we're we're also celebrating celebrating being under the same management for two thousand years i believe it's possible for us right here right now today in this place to be the new testament church i believe it's possible for us to be this church to practice the new testament baptism to use the New Testament name, to practice New Testament restoration. It's been proven by those Church of Christ roots. We'll just go into that briefly this morning. (laughs) In the early years of the 19th century, this is from around 1794 to about 1835, there were several different preachers from several different denominations, and they were bothered. They looked around and they said, we have to do something about these St. Charlie's of the Brown Fellowships of the Good Grief. So there were six different movements. They were headed up by ministers. Some of these guys names James O'Kelly, Abner Jones, Elias Smith, Barton Stone, Alexander and Thomas Cam- Campbell, there's some there's some names for you. Now, now that's not so incredible in and of itself that these different guys did this, but here's the incredible part. Independently of one another, all these guys in every case, these groups settled upon the name Christian for their church members. Isn't that something? independently they chose christian church or they chose church of christ for their congregations independently uh, there was no twitter independently they believed and taught baptism by immersion for the remission of sins observed the lord's supper weekly on the first day of the week independently they knew which pieces fit the puzzle the restoration puzzle why is that it's not because this is before the days of twitter and they were all using myspace back then no As one restoration author writes, these church leaders all had the same set of blueprints. The Bible. Just as six building contractors could build six identical houses if they all had the same identical blueprints in theory, likewise, these groups from Virginia, Vermont, Connecticut, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, New York did their part to restore the faith, the practice, because they all had the same book. They all had the same guidebook, the same schematic same blueprints that's incredible the goal was not to establish another church headquarters the goal isn't to come up with more doctrine the goal was to leave behind what they would picked up on leave the other churches do, drop their doctrines to promote the restorative work of christ but maybe you're thinking there's so many of them you know I, I come to men's fellowship for example we've got how many churches of christ within an hour radius of here 12 or something right isn't that a denomination? But it's not a denomination, friends. It's a brotherhood. And here's the difference, the governing body. Denominations such as, let's say, the Presbyterian Church of USA implies a governing body. A brotherhood means the same blueprints. Often we support the same missionaries, church camps, Bible schools. But we're independent. We're independent in Jesus. We're independent. I have tried very hard to tell Steve at McBride which ukulele parts to play. He won't listen, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not kidding. We don't have time this morning uh, for an extensive study of of the history of this movement as it followed. But you know, from where the churches of Christ and Christian churches today form. But but I'd like to mention briefly the largest of these groups. You know, again, started by a couple guys, Alexander and Thomas Campbell. And today, Alexander is often viewed as the leader of the Restoration Movement, he had tr- tremendous preaching, writing, and debating ability. You can actually find his memoirs and, and writing as uh, a variety of other sources as well if you're inclined to study further. By 1912, all of these individual groups came together. The Restoration Movement came to be listed as the fifth largest religious group in the United States. And so I do believe, my friends, it's very possible hundreds, thousands of years after Christ began building his church, we can still take the parts given to us. We can provide the labor, be the labor necessary to be Christ's hands and feet across the land, across the nation, across the world, restoring just like we would a 1965 Mustang. Here's the cool part. That, that 1965 Mustang, at some, at some point in time, it's going to break down again, isn't it? The work that we put into it isn't going to last forever. But no matter how we have a hand or how we play a role in Christ's work, it has implications for an eternity. This is work that will last forever. I pray that this study, this... uh. Look at Christ and His restorative plan for His people. I pray it's been a blessing to you this morning. Again, He's provided the Word. He expects us to what He expects us to go out and use it. And as we're wrapping up our study this morning on church uh, restoration, let's keep one one more thing in mind. There's a little more to restoring something than just knowing the mechanics of it, right? little bit more to it than that. I mean, you, you know as well as I do, uh, there have been other churches, again, last few hundred years that, that claim to be biblically restorative. So, so what makes the difference with this movement? What, what can make the difference with Ferris? What will make the difference in what we believe? And I believe there's a big difference. Tony mentioned this earlier. Briefly, in John 13, 35, Jesus says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what did Jesus say makes the difference with his church? What brings people together as one, as intended? What holds together the the ordinances and structure in Jesus that he himself has intended for his people? Our love, our love for one another. There are probably exceptions, but as a general rule, most people probably don't get into uh, auto trading and restoration unless they really love cars, right? Unless they really love cars. Here's a fun fact for you. In August uh, 2014, CNBC reported the most expensive car ever auctioned. Do you have any guesses to what that was? The most expensive car ever auctioned was a fully restored 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO. Are you curious to hear how much it sold for? $38 million. One car. This is a car. $38 million. That car better take me back to 1955 like Marty McFly and Back to the Future. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Somebody really loved Ferraris. A guy's not going to pay $38 million for something unless he really treasures that thing. Christ really treasured you two. We are his treasure. The people of this place are his treasure. Christ has a love that not only restores us, restores the individual person, but it's meant to be passed on. You don't invest in a 1962 Ferrari unless you really love Ferraris, and you don't restore a people unless you really love people. But the question is do people have the same value to us as well? A professor, uh, Charles Boatman, out of uh, Hope International University writes the following As we look to the New Testament, as we look to God's Word to find out what the church was like in its beginning, and we dedicate ourselves to this restoration of this church established by Jesus, may we focus as much on its life, the life of this church, as we do its structure, its organization. A thriving, loving body is God's best tool for bringing the gospel to the world. So church, we've got the parts. We've got them. And we're the laborers. Question is, are we ready to do our part to lovingly build a bigger body for Jesus Christ? It's his church, but it's our choice. Restoration, it's a big job. It's a big job. No matter what kind of restoration we're talking about, it's a big job. But somebody's been called to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you look at us and you see people of value. People of so much value, we are worth giving up everything for. Lord, I pray that as as you, you work in us, as you work in our hearts, Lord, that we feel convicted, we feel led to look at one another, to look at this world, and to say, you know what? We see value in each other as well. Help us, Lord, to remember that You've given us all we need to do the tasks you've intended for us. God, we live in a world of of, of so much deception. Lord, we we live in a world of, of so much religion, so many religious groups, so much doctrine, so much dogma. Lord, we... We see that in your word that you've made this pretty easy for us. The hard part, Lord, is following it. Lord, we ask that you lead us to be your hands and feet. That you give us courage, Lord, in a world that wants to add to your word and say, No, what you've said is good enough. What you've provided is enough. Who you are is enough. Help us to truly be Christians. Christians only. Lord, I I pray that you would lead us. Where we find you, Lord, at the cross, that we would we would be willing to, to give up our ideas for your will. Be with us, Lord, as we, as we go from this place to make a difference in, in, in this community, to make a difference in the neighborhood in which we live, to make a difference doing your restorative work. And it is in the name of Jesus, I pray these things, amen. And if you've not yet making a, made a decision for yourself, God's plan is the plan I want for my life. We invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to, Brother Girl's going to come forward and we're going to sing our our invitation song. And this uh, idea right here we've been talking about all along, it starts with us. God has provided all we need to do the work he intends for us in this life. Moving forward starts with you and I. If you have a public decision to make, we invite you to come forward.